Let me invite you to turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to just consider this morning one verse of this great chapter, page 1394 in your pew Bible, 1394, at the bottom of the page there. I'm going to actually read uh, verses 10 through 20. So you may follow along if you'd like, but I'm really going to focus only on verse 18. And what I'm saying today, I hope you'll understand, is part of what I was beginning to touch on last Sunday. So if you didn't, if you didn't hear last Sunday's sermon, uh, it, it would be helpful if you did listen to that and then add this to what we're saying today. Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we are in need of your help in the moments that follow, for we know, Lord, that our bodies oftentimes are weak and we often become weary at this time in our week, Lord. Many of us have had tremendous amounts of busyness and stress, and when we sit still, oftentimes, Lord, we begin to easily um, uh, begin to become in a relaxed mode. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be energized today. I pray that you would, uh, Lord, take our willing spirits and add to it uh, open arts, hearts and ears to what you want to impress upon us today, Lord, because we know we need help. We are facing a tremendous struggle that goes on around us and in, in us. We pray that you might use your word to empower us this day so that we might be able to be those who take their stand against the schemes of the evil one. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Christian life is not a life of just ease and relaxation. Christian life is a life of spiritual conflict and spiritual battle. And every follower of Jesus Christ is up against a formidable foe. As we said last week, we noticed that Satan is called not only the father of lies, but he's also called the accuser of the brethren. And even though he is a defeated foe, with limited resources, limited abilities, and limited knowledge, 
he still seeks to work us woe, as Martin Luther wrote in that famous hymn. And he utilizes a number of schemes, a number of tactics against the people of God. And the sad reality is that many of us as Christians are oblivious to the invisible war that is being waged around us and within us. And we would oftentimes, many of us would rather sit on the sidelines rather than stand in battle. And knowing that there's a tendency in all of us to do this, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this passage in Ephesians 6, he repeated not once or twice, but three times he wrote, stand firm in battle. Verse 11, verse 13, verse 14. Paul urged the people of God to take up the full armor of God that we may be able to resist in the evil day. There's a need to resist what's going on in the forces of evil. And so Paul proceeded then to describe a number of components of the armor of God. I'm not going to take time this morning to expound all of those, verses 14 to 17. But he concludes the passage, and you cannot separate this passage of the, all of the armor of God from verse 18, in which he offers a call to prayer. So in our time this morning, I want us to consider this, this role of prayer and how it plays in the idea of spiritual battle. On the last night in which Jesus spent with his disciples, very interesting comments he made to them. Look at Luke chapter 22, if you could. Maybe you could keep your finger there in Ephesians 6 and look back at Luke 22, page 1253 in your pew Bible. And Jesus, having already had dinner with his disciples, the Passover meal, he's already seen uh, the one who was going to uh, betray him into the hands of the authorities. He already has, uh, Judas has been dismissed. He's got the 11 with him, and he takes them at late hours of the night to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in this quiet place, Jesus sought to prepare his followers for the battle that they're soon to face. Look what he says in verse 40, at the last part of the verse. He says to the eleven, pray that you may not enter into temptation. What's the temptation he has in mind there? Well, I would suggest it's probably something along the lines that the pressure is going to come very soon after saying this to abandon Christ when his enemies encircle him and come to arrest him. And then after earnestly and intensely seeking the Father in prayer himself, Jesus then finds, goes back and looks in verse 45, finds his, his followers sleeping. We understand it's the middle of the night. We can understand that. They don't understand exactly what's going to happen next. We certainly uh, can empathize with them, know exactly what they're talking about. We all know what it's like to even try to pray and remain awake, don't we? We know what that struggle is like. So Jesus then admonishes them, verse 46, one more time. Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The temptation to deny him before the authorities. Fast forward ahead. What happens next? Well, we all know. It's Peter who succumbs to the pressure. Even though he had made this promise, I think earnestly, I think honestly, he sincerely said, I don't ever want to turn my back on you. I'll go to jail. I'll be killed. It doesn't make any difference. I'll do whatever it takes. 
It didn't take long, and he caved to the pressure and denying Christ once, twice, even three times, cursing those who would even dare question his lies about the fact that he doesn't know this man. And then the other ten, they're overcome with fear, and they flee the battlefield, as it were, and they head out of town, verse, verses, uh, Mark 14, 50. In light of this understanding of Jesus preparing his disciples for battle, trying to help them understand the, the importance of prayer, I want to look at that today, this morning, and answer a couple questions about seeking God. If we're to successfully somehow resist the evil one and his schemes that he is bringing against the people of God day in and day out. I'll begin with the first question. Why is prayer important? Why is prayer important? Well, there are many ways we could answer this question, and I will not give a sufficient and uh, extensive answer to this, but I'll just start by saying this. Every soldier of Christ, myself included, and I'm probably the first one on the list, every soldier of Christ is susceptible to gradual weakening getting weaker and weaker the longer I am a Christian. Every believer has a tendency to become overconfident, complacent, and spiritually anemic. And it's no wonder then that that's why Paul starts the text in verse 10 of Ephesians 6, in which he says, Be strong in what? In the Lord. Be strong in the strength of His might. Don't be strong in your own might. Don't be confident in how capable you are and how smart you are and how alert you might be. No, be strong in the Lord. And that's what I think is the key understanding here, that prayer is one way in which we can gain strength from God. And too many Christians, like myself, we assume that we are strong in our own might. Many of us come to faith in Christ. We put on the armor of God. But gradually over time, there's a subtle shift that takes place and we begin to fight in our own strength. And I think the only way to understand this uh, under the idea of why is prayer important, it would be letter A, prayer expresses our dependence upon God. The fact that we pray is to acknowledge, I need help, I'm vulnerable. I think it's fair to say that Lone Ranger independent soldiers called upon to serve in a battlefield all by themselves, completely independent, are likely to be disoriented, are likely to be deceived, and are likely to be defeated in battle. And so when we think of what Christ was doing as he anticipated the great battle of his uh, coming against the forces of evil on the day in which he died on the cross, he spends the night praying for his followers. John 17, fascinating to read as you think of Jesus interceding on behalf of his followers and the impact of what he wants their lives to be and what he's asking the Father to do in them. Fascinating insight into the fact that they are needy, dependent people who are in need of a great God to help them in their time of struggle. I've been recently helped to reread a passage of John Piper's book under this idea of prayer as he began to help explain the idea of when we wear the armor, we can have the armor of God, but we can somehow be out of contact with our commanding officer, Jesus Christ. And so Piper, in his 
helpful comment, let the nations be glad, he talks about prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. Very interesting analogy he, he places here about the importance of prayer. He says, until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. And prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. It is as though the field commander, Jesus, called in the troops and he gave them a crucial mission. The mission is to go, proclaim the gospel, bear fruit, fruit that remains, and he hands to each of them a transmitter that's coded with the frequency of the general's headquarters. And he says something like this to them. He says, comrades, the general has a mission for you, and to that end he has authorized me to give you a personal access to him through these transmitters. If you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close to you as your transmitter. To give you tactical advice, to send in air cover when you need it. But then Piper goes on to raise a question and say, well, what have we done with this walkie-talkie? Well, he says, first of all, many times we have stopped believing that we're in a war. There's no urgency, there's no watching, there's no vigilance. And so what do we do with the walkie-talkie if we forget that we're in a war? Well, we rig it up, he says, as an intercom in our houses, in our cabins, in our boats, in our cars, not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask for more comforts for us as we relax in our den. In other words, we think of prayer as calling in and asking God, God, can you help me make sure my life remains comfortable and that I can have a problem-free life, relaxing and taking it easy, avoiding anything that's difficult. He says that doesn't make sense with a walkie-talkie that was given to us for a wartime contact, con context. So what do we do with these implications of this? We know prayer is important, but... Then I ask myself these questions. I say, why does prayer then have a tendency in my life, and I'm sure you can agree with me on this, why does it have a tendency in our lives to sort of become pushed to the background? It's something that we somehow try to figure out a way of squeezing it into our busy, busy lives. Why doesn't my heart then yearn to closely commune with the King of Kings, with the captain of my soul, who leads his people in triumph, why is my heart not more attuned to wanting to spend that time with him in prayer? One of the things I've had to be, admit to myself as I think about this, maybe you're willing to admit the same is true of you, is that I think at the bottom of it is a level of pride. I say to myself, well, am I not like Peter, whose heart overflowed with all this self-confidence? He declared, listen, Jesus, I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die for you. He's full of self-confidence. But then only hours later, he denies any association with his Master and Lord. May I suggest to you that prayerlessness plays right into Satan's schemes, his strategy. The devil wants us to think more highly of ourselves and our abilities than we really ought to. And the evil one knows that he cannot rob us of our inheritance in Christ 
but he can and he does strive to distract us away from our only source of strength. And someone has said that the church stops marching into battle when she stops praying. I've included in your notes there a a quote from Samuel Chadwick, who was a principal of a Bible training institute in his later years. Actually, one of his students was Leonard Ravenhill. Some of you may know that name as a, a man who writes, has written a lot about revival and having a heart for God. And this is what he says. Chadwick writes, Samuel Chadwick, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at all our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. I wonder if you do battle each day, day after day, pretty much on your own. (laughs) You find yourself all alone, dealing with whatever you're dealing with. Let me call you today, as I've called myself again, and thinking about these issues in my own heart and need for me to realize how much help I need, is to find grace, find mercy at the throne of grace to help us in our time of need. To remember, we have a walkie-talkie. We're not out on our own entirely. And if our hope and our trust is in Christ, our Lord and our Savior, if we have repented of our sins and we have placed our trust in Christ, then we are privileged to come confidently, to come boldly, to come unashamedly to Him in any moment in every situation of life. We have a wartime walkie-talkie. Let's use it. Let's ask for help. Let's be in tune with the one who is the captain of our souls, the one who will lead us and help us in every situation of life. I want to point out a second uh, direction here with this passage this morning in looking at some practical guidelines for battlefield prayer. But before I get into those, and and I added these in here after I got in that direction, and I wanted just to make two other reminders before we get into the guidelines about prayer. And the first thing I want to do is I looked at Ephesians 6, 18. I just want to remind you that when when Paul wrote this passage, he he wrote it as a soldier standing in battle himself. And Paul not only offers in this book, and I encourage you to go back and read them sometime, in chapter 1 and in chapter 3, Paul offers prayers for the people that he's writing, these believers there in Ephesus. And he records his concern lifting them up in prayer. And then what does he do? Not only does he pray for them, then Paul says in in verse 19 and 20, he then asks prayer for himself. He says, I need prayer. I need to have boldness. Paul, one of the greatest missionaries ever lived, he needed boldness. He admits, I struggle. He admits, I need help. And he's asking for prayer himself. Here's a man who's standing in battle. He understands his weaknesses and his vulnerabilities. And so I would like to just say, the book itself, we find Paul investing a lot of time in reminding these believers of all the vast array of spiritual blessings that are theirs 
through the gospel of Jesus Christ that there's theirs to enjoy, available to be provided to them. And then, having reminded them of what the incredible inheritance they have in Christ and the riches they have in Christ, he then goes on to say, I'm praying for you that you might fully and more completely grasp what is yours in Christ every day. And that, that that understanding will deepen over time so that you will therefore know the security, the help, and the grace, and the benefits of being joined to Christ. Here's my point. Satan's enticements to sin are less appealing to those who are satisfied with Christ. If you are struggling in some area of sin that is repetitive and ongoing, I urge you to think about that for a moment. Satan's enticements to sin are less appealing if you are truly satisfied more and more with Christ. Let me give you an example. Suppose there's a 12-year-old kid, this is a made-up story, like 12-year-old kid whose father is super wealthy, lives in the area here, and his father happens to own all of the Smith Haven Mall and every store in that mall. He also happens to own all the shopping centers around that area. So that includes grocery stores and all kinds of stores in, in, in the shopping areas behind and on every side of the Smith Haven Mall. Imagine that. One man owns all those stores. Then he says, okay, son, you can go in and go shopping anytime you want. You can get anything you want in those stores. Just remind him who you are. Now, do you think that that boy, 12-year-old boy, is going to be enticed by somebody who walks up to him, coming out from around the side of the building, and, and says, hey, want some counterfeit $100 bills? He's not going to be enticed to want those things. He's got a vast array of resources available to him for anything he might need. And so my point here, again, is to say that Paul lays out for us as the followers of Christ, here's your huge inheritance, here's what you can enjoy in Christ, it's what, this is the, 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 the blessings of the gospel are all yours to enjoy. Feed your soul on those, and you'll find yourself becoming stronger and stronger in battle because of understanding who you are in Christ, who God is, and what we enjoy as believers in the gospel. Second reminder, and this is just a very quick aside here, please let me have a moment to explain this though. Notice that Paul mentions here in Ephesians 6.18, there is no mention of warfare praying in the sense that some people have understood that we directly confront Satan. Some people have understood that that's what warfare pray, praying involves. You speak directly to Satan and you begin to sort of take him on. But nowhere in the New Testament are believers urged to rebuke demons and to confront Satan directly in prayer. Prayer in Ephesians 6.18 is believers addressing God. And so we are to pray to God, not Satan. Who are we to order around the powers of darkness? When Paul was up against the messenger of Satan in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he did not rebuke Satan. You read it yourself. What does he do? He asked three times for God to help him in getting rid of this messenger from Satan. And what's the answer? The answer is, my grace is sufficient for you. He did not rebuke Satan. Warfare prayer is prayer directed to the, directed to the only wise and sovereign God through Jesus Christ. Okay, having read that, let's now follow some of these principles here 
of verse 18. Principle number one is we are to be encouraged to pray all kinds of prayers. All kinds of prayers. Rather than prayer becoming rote and routine, Paul encourages believers to pray all sorts of prayers. He says that. All prayer. All prayer and petition. You know, I think about it. Sometimes that's all we do, isn't it? Is just pray petitions. Lord, I need this. Can you please give me this? Lord, I also need this. Hey, Lord, I also need that. Lord, can I have that? And so prayer becomes, Lord, give me this, give me this, give me this, give me that. But isn't it helpful at times to have variation in our prayer so that sometimes prayer is nothing more than just, Lord, I just want to adore you. I offer prayers of just admiration. I just can't help but be in awe of you. You are awesome. You are holy. You are altogether good. Offering him prayers of adoration. Offering then other times prayers of confession. God, I just need to be honest with you. I'm struggling with this in my heart today. Admitting our sins. Confessing them honestly and openly to him. Other times there's prayers, yes, of petition. But then there's times to be thankful. Times to say, Lord, I want to be sure that you hear me say, I appreciate the blessings I currently enjoy and have enjoyed that you've already shown me by your gracious hands in my life. But if prayer is just only asking God for things, then that means the relationship with God is somewhat distorted. We're not really enjoying the full dimensions of that. I think of sometimes uh, when we read the Scriptures, and we read the Scriptures enough that we don't become aware of areas where God is trying to help us see that we're out of line sometimes, that our hearts have strayed, that we sometimes are uh, vulnerable to uh, having uh, our hearts filled with pride or different things. It, it, it's so natural to be able to say, Lord, I, I confess that to you. Thank you for forgiving me for that sin. Help me to return from it. So having variation in prayer is good, but variety in prayer also includes different elements in prayer. For example, there are sometimes where we pray privately, alone, nobody else around. And there are times we pray publicly. Jesus said in Matthew 6 that we pray and we get into our own little room and we shut the door. What do you think he means there is pray when there's nobody else that can hear what you're praying. They don't need to know what you're talking about. You're not here to pray to be heard. You're here to pray to talk to God so you can be honest and open and be absolutely straightforward with him. There are other times in life where we know in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 3, chapter 12, the church gathered to pray corporately. We pray with other Christians. Both are appropriate. Both are good. Both are helpful. We pray alone. We pray with our families. There are times when we are to pray aloud. There will be many, many times when we pray silently. It's good to have variation in our prayers by offering petitions to God that come right from our own words, our own ideas. Other times it's helpful to pray Scripture, to actually take a text of Scripture and pray and turning it into a prayer so that we begin to say, for example, verse 10, Lord, Help me be strong in you and the Lord. Help me to be strong in your might this day. And so we turn Scripture into prayer. That guides us as we offer our prayers to God. Sometimes we will lift our voices to God regarding our own personal concerns and burdens, and other times we're going to pray the Psalms. And God will lead us as we pray those words to Him. Again, variation as the Spirit leads us in our praying. 
I would also say there's helpful times at other times in life to pray a prayer that someone else may have written. And there are a number of, of ways in which people have collected some of those prayers, Valley of Vision and other ones that have been used as a prayer uh, book. Again, assuming that they are people who pray appropriately to God in accordance to proper theology and orthodoxy. Here's an idea. Those of us who know what it is to be in, in a marriage relationship there is the exchange back and forth, hopefully throughout that relationship, of the understanding that I love you. And so it's appropriate to say, I love you. It's appropriate to have that other person say, I love you. It's nice to hear that every so often. But if that's all that's ever said, would sometimes mean that that can become not stale, but maybe not as expressive and as multifaceted in what you really desire to express to the other person about what your heart is inclined toward them, and you want to show them your level of affection. So you would say, there are different ways to express I love you. There are different ways to leave a note, perhaps, or there may be a way in which you uh, give a phone call or send an email, send a text to say I'm thinking about you. There are other ways to express that, and that brings a sense of freshness and vitality in relationship. The same is true in our relationship with God. If we pray the same way, always the same, only the certain ways of praying, it helps to make it much more a variation, indicating that our hearts are much more deepening in our appreciation and understanding of God, and therefore it is expressed in ways that are vital and real. Here's another suggestion he, Paul offers in this text. He says, pray on all occasions. Since we're wrestling against spiritual forces of darkness, and they never warn us, they don't ever say, you know, well, Today is Wednesday, and this is going to be a day where the schemes are going to be ratcheted up. The tactics of the evil one are really coming at you hard and heavy. We don't get those kind of warnings. Our praying should not be limited just to holy season of the year, Good Friday and Easter and the, the, during the season of Advent. But Paul says not only are we to pray on those, on those occasions when we're gathered with local believers, but he says we're, Paul was praying in the prison by himself lifting up his concerns about other believers as they come to mind. And so we pray not only in times of crisis and heartache, but we pray also in the midst of rush hour. We pray in the midst of, of another skirmish that has just occurred with our children when they're having another battle between each other. We can pray about that situation. We pray about the stress of some meeting that's getting in a direction that you feel like is becoming more and more problematic. You can pray as you... When you're alone and you feel temptation is beckoning you and you know your heart is being drawn away and you know that there's a strong sense of, if I'm not careful here, I, need to, to, I really need to seek God here because I, my heart is being drawn to indulge in my lusts. Here's an interesting prayer on pray on all occasions. Psalm 55, verses 16 and 17. David writes, I shall call upon God, the Lord will save me every morning, Oh, sorry, evening, morning, and at noon, he will hear my voice. What's he saying? I'll pray throughout the day. <laughs> evening, morning, and noon, anytime and all the time. So whatever the occasion is, prayer is always appropriate. When you're thrilled and overjoyed, when your heart is just bubbling over, as ours have been recently with all this wonderful additions in our family, our boys getting married, we, and our daughters engaged. We, is anyone cheerful? James 5 says, let him sing praises. 
Let your praise and your prayers be coupled with music. When you're confused, you're worried about the future, it's time to pray. When you're at your wit's end and about to lose control, it's time to pray. When you're lonely and feeling vulnerable, it's time to pray. And when you are blank, what are you facing? When you are, it's time to pray. And I think Paul's advice here is very helpful to not think of prayer has to be contained at one time of the day. We are in, constantly in a spirit of prayer, praying about anything and everything, whatever we're facing at that moment. Lastly, I just want to pray, I, mean, I want to mention one final thing here about prayer. He says in the text in verse 18, he says, pray at all times in the spirit. Spirit energized prayer. I am very much aware that prayer can and does become routine, it does become rote, it becomes repetitious. Have you ever ever found that to be true? I mean, if you're not careful. When I was growing up, we always sang the doxology every Sunday in the church I grew up in. Is there anything wrong with that song? Absolutely not. But when I found myself rattling off the song, singing it without even thinking about what I was saying, and we would also always, every Sunday, repeat the Lord's Prayer. Anything wrong with that prayer? No, of course not. It's Scripture. But by repeating it every Sunday, I found myself not even thinking about what I was saying. It became rote. And so there's a danger that, as believers, we need help in our prayer life. And here I think he's saying the Spirit of God is meant to assist us in our need to cry out to God on the battlefield. Our hearts at times can become cold and complacent, We need the empowering, enabling, energizing Spirit of God to help us in our weaknesses in prayer. Jesus warned in Matthew 6 that just going through meaningless repetitions in our prayers to those who don't know God, it's not appropriate. Religious people assume that God hears their prayers because of their many words. It's not true. May God keep us from praying cold and heartless, formal, habitual prayers that are devoid of sincerity and devoid of earnestness. May we be praying in the Spirit. You say, what does that mean? Well, that the Spirit will energize and empower our hearts so that the Word of God, which, by the way, is joined with that, verse 16 and and verse, um, sorry, verse 17 and, and 18, you cannot separate those two verses. So as you take up the sword of the Spirit, you're reading the Word. The Word is what draws your heart into the wonderful truths of who God is, and what the gospel has brought us, those things begin to stir up our hearts, and we become encouraged and, and emboldened, and, and, and we begin to feel with a sense of anticipation of, of glory. Rather than having half-hearted, ho-hum prayers, because we're grieving the Spirit, we're refusing to surrender to some area that God wants us to let go of, some area of our life, and we're, we're, we're sort of, uh, in many ways, quenching the Spirit, Rather than doing that, we confess our sins, we turn from our sins and say, Lord, thank you for the truth of the gospel, and that begins to turn us in a new direction. How many of you have flown a kite in your life? Okay, many of you have. How many of you tried to fly a kite on a windless day? Because you had a kite and you wanted to do it, and it was the time that allowed it to do it, right? So what do you do in order to fly a kite on a windless day? You run, and you run, and you run. 
and you keep on running. It gets, becomes exhausting, doesn't it? After a while, if you keep that up, still no wind, can't keep the kite up, what are you going to do? You're going to quit. It's like, who wants to do this? This is drudgery after a while. And I would suggest to you that that's what prayer can become apart from the Spirit energizing our hearts around the gospel. And so I would hope and pray that God, by His Spirit, will blow the truths of the gospel through our souls and through our minds as we rehearse the wonderful truths of who God is and what Christ has done for us and the wonders of who we are in Christ. And as we rehearse those things, the wind begins to blow of the Spirit moving in us, and therefore our hearts are going to be lifted up to God, refreshed by the breezes of the gospel that blow through us as we read the Word. Therefore, drawing our hearts to God in prayer. That's, my friend, when we truly are, I think, much more ready to engage in battle on the battlefield because we're in tune with the one who made us and is going to enable us to have victory through his, through his name. Let's pray. O wind of God, come bend us and break us till humbly we confess our need for you. And then I pray, Lord, that in your tenderness you would remake us, you would revive us, restore us. This is our plea. O breath of life, come sweeping through us. Revive your church with life and power. O breath of life, come cleanse, renew us, and fit your church. Fit each believer, fit each heart to meet this hour. O oh, Father, I pray that you would stir up in our hearts a longing to use our battlefield walkie-talkies. Lord, that we might be in tune with you, in touch with you, relying upon you, expressing our humble dependence upon you. Lord, that we might not just give up in the struggles we have in our flesh against the world, against Satan. Help us, Lord, not to just throw our arms up and say, ah, too much, I give up. I'd just rather do what I want to do. Lord, help us to stand in battle. And I pray, Father, that even this week, all of us would have a greater sense of crying out to you and calling out to you and being in tune with you in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And that, Father, we might be more astute and alert against the schemes of the devil. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.